1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Brandon, before the service, was teasing me about... Yeah, Brandon was. Uh, Brandon, uh, before the service, was teasing me about the title of my sermon tonight. And he's like, I don't understand what the sermon's about tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, right out of the gate, what the title sermon is. Um, (laughs) Understanding the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, Brandon. Brandon uh, uh, didn't didn't get it. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put that up there as a teaser because there's a couple things I want to talk about first uh, before we uh, get into the message. Um, uh, <clears throat> and that is the importance of the resurrection. Uh, we live in a society today where the resurrection has been seriously downplayed and um, it is it is important that we as believers understand the importance of the resurrection I remember uh, because I, I told you earlier I did not go to church uh, growing up and this is not a reflection on my parents so please don't 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 think anything bad about my parents but you know my understanding of Easter was Easter bunnies and uh, colored eggs and candy and you know I never could understand why my mom would always make me wear a clip-on tie <laughs> I mean we never went anywhere <laughs> but I had to get dressed up you know and as a little guy I mean that's just that's brutal man <laughs> and uh, don't get dirty anyway um, so I didn't understand uh, Easter and I, I got saved in June of 1980 and my first Easter of 1981, uh, my wife and I were dating, and she mentioned, and she was all excited about Easter coming. And I looked—I'm sure you remember this—but I, I, I looked at—I looked at her and said, "What's the big deal about Easter?" And she, <laughs> and she's, and she says, "Are you serious?" You know, again, I, I'm like, yeah, what's the big deal about Easter? And uh, so she explained it to me. And so obviously my viewpoint on Easter changed really quick. But but that's what the world wants to do. They, they See, Satan doesn't care that we, quote-unquote, worship a born Savior. Christmas is really not that big a deal to Satan. It's the resurrection that he is fearful of. And he has successfully, I believe, successfully robbed our country from an understanding of what Easter really is and the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. So this morning, or this evening, excuse me, uh, before we get into our... Um, understanding the Lord's Supper, I wanted to take a few minutes, and and if you if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Um, I don't I, I don't I'm not really anticipating any because I'm just going to make some statements. But if you do, please please let me know um, because you, you need to understand this. Um, last week, as we were going through our continue book, uh, we got to the fact that 
uh, one of the ways that we see the deity of Christ is through the resurrection. And that is a, that's an incredibly important statement. And I, I was hoping to last week, but we, we ran out of time, but I wanted to last week talk about what I'm going to talk about right now, and that is the importance of the resurrection. So the first thing I want you to understand and, and, and get a hold of is the fact that his resurrection affirms his immense power. Uh, let that sink in for a minute. If, if he did not have the power to raise himself from the dead, then how could he raise you from the dead? And how can he secure your soul in eternity? See, it is that immense power that is one of the reasons why we need to understand the importance of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55, and when this corruption shall uh, have put on incorruption, and this mortal have, shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? See, we can claim victory over death. You know, and this is, and this is the gospel truth. I do not fear dying. Okay? I do not fear dying. I, I, I don't. Now, I fear my wife killing me and the pain of dying. <laughs> By making statements like that, it's going to come sooner. But, but seriously, I don't fear dying. Why? Because of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. <clears throat> now I want to I want to I want to look at verse 55 here because there's a there's a <clears throat> there's an implication in this verse that I I, I want to talk about. Oh, oh death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? What what? There's an implication here of a venomous animal, is there not? Uh, uh, either a scorpion or a, a, a snake of some sort, a, a spider, but there's, there's some implication of a venomous animal here. Is, is, do, you, do you see it? Okay. Now, can you go back, Chris, to verse 54? It says <clears throat> that that venomous animal in the next verse is swallowed up. And as I, as I contemplated these two verses, I thought of Exodus chapter 7 and verse 12. The snakes, exactly. Let me read it for you. And they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. Now, how many of you last night, night watched the Ten Commandments? <laughs> One of you, okay. Well, but most people have seen the Ten Commandments. They throw the, they throw the rods down. Well, you know, the Bible actually talks about that, okay? And <clears throat> uh, every, uh, every man uh, his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. 
See, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, <clears throat> can you put that back up? 55. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? <clears throat> it's been swallowed up. The grave has been swallowed up in victory. And Jesus has swallowed that up because of the resurrection. The immense power of the resurrection. The second thing I want to talk about tonight is it validates who Christ claimed to be. See, if, 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 if he had not risen from the grave, again, he would have not been able to make the claims that he, well, the claims that he would have made would have, would have not been true. John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showeth uh, thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, how did the, those of you that, that know the rest of the story later on, how did the Jews take this? Okay, they thought he was referring to the, the temple. But it's very clear when you see this, what is he saying? You can destroy this temple, but in three days it'll raise again. See, Jesus making that statement is an incredible statement. Who Jesus claimed to be. The third thing I want to talk about tonight is it proves his sinless character. Candy and I were, before the service, were talking about the, the sinless nature of Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer the Holy One to see corruption. Now, let, let me ask you a question. What happens to the body when the body dies? Okay, it, it decays. Okay, it, it turns to corruption. Well, did not the body, did not Jesus' body die? Hello? Okay. But then how could he claim to not have had Corruption. Anybody? Uh, close. Huh? Okay. Brandon? There you go. The decay, the de when your body dies, it doesn't start the decaying process until the fourth day. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verse 39. If you understand the story in John chapter 11, Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus has died. And what does Jesus do before he gets to the tomb? Okay, he waits. He gets word that John that that, that Lazarus is sick. Then he then he knows uh, then he <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting I'm talking too fast. He, he finds out that Lazarus is sick and he's about to die. 
Then what does he do? He delays his departure on purpose. Why? Okay, he, he needed to wait till the fourth day until the corruption had taken place. <clears throat> In John chapter 11, verse 39, and Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. The si- <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Take away the stone, period. Martha, uh, the sister of him uh, that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead, what? Four days. The decay had started. See, by raising the third day, he never saw corruption. Important fact. So, the resurrection proves his sinless character. Number four, it proves that our faith is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 19. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are uh, found uh, uh, false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised uh, raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so, be that we, uh, excuse me, that <clears throat> if so be that the dead raise not. For if the dead raise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. He can't. He 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 couldn't forgive sin if he hadn't risen. That immense power. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if if Christ did not do what he said he would do. Our faith is in vain. We might as well pack up right now and go home and enjoy the rest of the evening. The resurrection is important. And I want to, I want to give you four things very quickly. It is important because it proves who Jesus is. It demonstrates that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. It shows that God has the power to raise us from the dead. And it guarantees that believers in Christ will not remain dead, but live with him forever. That's the importance of the resurrection. I don't know about you, but these are important things that we need to remember. And... If you ever had the opportunity, like my wife did some 40 years ago, to answer the question, what's the big deal about Easter? Now you know. 
and let them have it with both barrels <laughs> in, in love. But it's an important time. I hope that's been a help to you. Any questions before we move on? No? Okay. You had your chance. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about um, the, the Lord's Supper now. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the Lord's Supper, and then at the end we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Um, but I want to I kind of focus in on three basic principles of the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is when. Point number one is when. When, when are you supposed to do the Lord's Supper? Um, <clears throat> but before we do that, let's go ahead and read First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, let's start reading in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I deliver unto you, that the Lord the, first, the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my, my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till, till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink uh, uh, of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together uh, unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And I, I am just truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, continue to work in our hearts, that you would help us to understand the importance of the Lord's Supper and the, the significance behind it. Uh, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so when when do we have the Lord's Supper? Um <clears throat> This is actually a, a, an incredibly simple answer. Uh, we see it in uh, verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until you come. So the answer of that is whenever you do it. Okay? Uh, I, know, I know churches that have definitive times uh, Mel, uh, Melanie and I were members of a church many years ago uh, that uh, every every time there was a fifth Sunday, we would do the Lord's Supper. Uh, I know churches that do it every week, uh, every month, uh, once a quarter, 
Um, I, I, know, I know a few churches that do it just once a year. And they make a really big deal out of it. There is nowhere in Scripture that says you're supposed to do it every fill in the blank. All it says is that when you do it, this is how you do it. Now, <clears throat> the one thing that is very clear in Scripture is that God takes the Lord's Supper or communion, whichever you want to call it, doesn't matter. Uh, the Lord takes the Lord's Supper seriously, and He wants us to take it seriously. Look at, look at verse um, 27. Uh, Wherefore, whosoever uh, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds serious to me. Uh, look at verse 29. And he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In, in other words, uh, some some folks have died uh, because they have they've taken the Lord's Supper flippantly. So that answers the question: When? Now, let's talk about why. Yes. No, no, it doesn't. No, there, there's there's no <clears throat> there's no uh, stipulation here for that. The, the, the um, how do I want to say this? Most New Testament churches, though, do it on Sunday because the Last Supper was on a Sunday. Th does that make sense? So I, I think more uh, the early, early church uh, tradition uh, has, has kind of rubbed off through the generations. So, but yeah, no, there is, there's no um, uh, discussion in Scripture of, of days. Uh, in fact, when I've I've been I, I've done I've done the Lord's Supper out at the prison, and I've done it usually. It's usually on a Friday. Uh, that's usually when I go out there. But um, but I've done it I've done it then. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. So when. Um, or excuse me, the, the, the why. Do we, any, any questions? Okay. Okay, let's go to why. Why? why? <clears throat> I, I remember one time when I was a, a little guy, um, I don't know, seven, eight years old, maybe six, seven. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't remember how. I just remember the event. Um, my mom and I were in the car going somewhere. And this is, this is before seatbelts, Okay. Those of you that are old enough, you remember when cars were just cars? Okay. <laughs> there were no seatbelts. And, and I was in the back seat, you know, being a five or six-year-old kid, bouncing all over the place. And my mom made this statement. How many of you have ever heard this statement? When we get home. Okay. <laughs> You're going to get a whipping, okay? Now, uh, what do you think that did to me? Man, I planted my 
little bottom in the seat. I didn't move. We got home. I didn't say a word. I, I mean, I just, you know. And we got home. She said, get to your room. Well, I made my way down the hallway. I went, I sat on this, you know how you, y'all ever, can y'all feel my pain? Okay. <clears throat> I'm sitting on the other side, on the edge of the bed and I'm waiting. That's the worst part, right? The waiting. Well, I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. I fell asleep. Boom, fell over on the bed. I have no idea how long I slept, but I, I, I fell asleep. Well, I woke up, and she still hadn't come. So I walked over to the door, and I peeked out the door, and she wasn't coming. So I went and found her. She put her arm around me. And she's like, buddy, I am so sorry. I forgot, and blah, 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 blah. You're... <laughs> You know, in my brain, I'm like, dude, can we just get this over with, you know? And uh, so she's like, no, go, go on, just have fun. And she kicked me out the door, and I went on my way. <clears throat> but when I was sitting on the edge of that bed, and even in the backseat of the car, what was I doing? Okay, I was doing soul searching. Okay, you know, <clears throat> what did I do wrong? How am I, how am I not going to, you know get in trouble ever again and you know that's how my little brain worked you know I was constantly wondering what I did wrong and so on and so forth so my I said all that to say this the first reason why that we uh, we have in scripture is found in verse 20 26 to 30 and that is letter a examine yourself God wants us to examine ourselves verse 26 says, uh, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Uh, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep. God wants us to examine ourselves. So this should be a time of, of self-reflection. This should be a time where uh, it, uh, the, the word examine literally means to, to put yourself to the test. What if God were to walk in right now and hand each of us a piece of paper and a pen? And he said, and he, he told each of us he said, to, to write down every secret that you have, good and bad. Draw a line down the middle of the paper. And every secret that you have that's good on one side and every secret that you have is on, that's bad on the other side. What about every thought that you have, every good thought that you have, and every bad thought that you have? How about every moment of anger that you've had over the last six months? 
Okay, Pastor, you're gone to meddling. How about every little white lie that you've told over the last six months? How about every good deed and every bad deed that you've done? How about, oh, this is, this is even worse here. How about every good motive and every bad motive that you've had? See, that's what it means to examine. So when, when, when we have communion, when we have the Lord's Supper, one of the purposes, one of the reasons we do this is so that we can examine ourselves. Why is it so important that we examine ourselves? Brandon? Well, yeah, but okay, but that, Jason? It humbles us. Why else? Yes. Okay, to grow in Christ. Absolutely. The real reason, well, all of these reasons are true. See, I only, I'm the only one that knows the thoughts that I think. Other than God. And I'm going to be a lot harder on myself than anybody else is going to be. Are we, are, we all, are we all not more critical of ourselves? See, God wants us to examine ourselves. The other reason is because if we start examining other people, what do we do? We become judgmental, do we not? God wants us to examine ourselves. <clears throat> the reality is this. If, if we examine ourselves and we come away from that examination saying, I'm good, there is, I have no problems. Guess who just lied? <laughs> okay, yeah, you just lied because you got pride in your life. We all have, we, we all struggle with sin. And nobody knows your sin better than you. <clears throat> the second thing that we see is that the reason why is because, number one, we're to examine ourselves. Number two, to, to judge ourselves. To judge ourselves. Look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Judgment is coming, okay? The, the question is not, will you be judged? Okay, because you will be judged. Now, if, if you do the judging, then you're a whole lot better off than if God does it. Just saying, I've been down that road. It's not a good road to go down. It's one thing to ask the Lord to reveal sin in our lives. It is another thing to act upon it. See, when he says to examine ourselves, that's pretty self-explanatory. 
But when he says to judge ourselves, what, what does that imply? It, 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 hopefully it implies acting on what he reveals. So that, that what that means is that, that if, if I have hurt someone, then I need to make it right. If I have sinned against an almighty God, I need to make it right. See, the, the judging is the acting upon what he reveals to us. Verse 29, uh, let's let's look at verse 29. It says, uh, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, uh, not discerning the Lord's body. Does this imply uh, a person that God has revealed fault to? Or does this apply to a person who that truth has been revealed, but they have not acted on the revelation? Verse 29 is talking about the person who has it has been revealed to, but has done nothing about it. See, we need to ask God to reveal our sin, examining ourselves. God, is there anything in my life I need to work on? Then as he shows us things. Now, one of the fears is, at least for me for a long time, one of the fears was, in my life, I would, I would shun away from asking God to, to reveal sin in my life, thinking I would get a laundry list of things, and he'd say, okay, now fix them all. That's not how God works. Normally in my life, when I ask God this question, he usually shows me one or two things that I can manage, manageably, manageably? No, that's not a good word. Um, that I can successfully <laughs> work through in my life. So don't be afraid to ask. So how then do we judge ourselves? That, that is the, the $54,000 question. How do we judge ourselves? <clears throat> the first thing is to just take care of sin. If we have sin in our lives, ask God to forgive us. First John uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, one of my favorite verses. If <clears throat> we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we've got to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. Then, if our sin involves someone else, then we need to seek restoration. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22 and 24, uh, 22 to 24. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother uh, without a cause shall be in danger of, of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou <clears throat> bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that 
thy brother have aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer the, thy gift. Now it's, it's, it's pretty clear to me that in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is speaking here, he's, he's talking about the altar at the temple, is he not? But can we not make application to the Lord's Supper here? I believe we can. And before, what, it, what he's saying here is, look, if, if you say, okay, God, I, I need to examine my heart, and he reveals something to us, and we have sinned against a brother or a sister, before we take the Lord's Supper, we need to go and make that thing right. And if that individual's not here, then you have no business taking the, Lord, the Lord's Supper. You're, the, what does he say? He says, leave your offering here, go make it right, and then come back. That's the biblical way of doing it. Now, let's, let's talk about what was happening in the, in the Corinthian church at this time. This is a warning of sorts. <clears throat> God <clears throat> was revealing sin in the lives of the Corinthian believers, they were having the Lord's Supper and they were examining themselves, but they were not acting upon the revelation that God was giving them. And, it, and the Bible says what? That many of them were sick and dying because of their rebellion against God's will in their lives. Now, <clears throat> when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we must be willing to deal with sin in our own lives. If we are not willing to deal with this, then we should not be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Don't ask God to reveal sin if you're not willing to act upon it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. When thou vowest a vow to God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou owest. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. The Lord's Supper had become routine in the Corinthian church. And God said, don't do that. That's one of the reasons why here at Grace Baptist Church we we don't do it on a regular basis. We just kind of do it whenever the Lord leads us because we want it to be a special time for us to get to get along with God so that we can do business with God. Because when it becomes routine, then it, it loses the preciousness of it. Number one, examine yourself. Number two, <clears throat> judge yourself. And then number three, remember what Christ did for you. Look at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. 
This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ wants us to remember what he's done for us. One of the reasons I like doing the Lord's Supper on Easter Sunday is because I, I don't know a more appropriate day to celebrate what he's done for us. In the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And it came to pass when all the people were clean pass over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take ye twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command them, <clears throat> saying, uh, Take ye hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood, twelve stones, and they shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. And this is an incredible picture of something very, very precious. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they finally get to cross over the Jordan River. And God tells Joshua, take a man out of every tribe and have him as, they, as he walks across. Well, first off, the, the, the priest went into the water and as they step, stepped into the water, the waters parted. And they walked across on dry ground. And when the priests got halfway, they stopped. And the, the children of Israel walked through while the priest stood there holding the ark. And he says, take one man out of every tribe. And as he walks past the priest, tell him to pick up a stone and then, and then take it to the other side. And when, when we make camp on the other side, I want you to take those 12 stones and I want you to build an altar out of it. In, verse, in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, it says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then ye shall, say, uh, then ye shall answer them <clears throat> that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it uh, passed over the Jordan and the water of the Jordans were cut off, these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel for how long? Forever. What was God trying to teach the children of Israel? Never forget what I did today. And the point was, these 12 stones were, were erected into an altar of some sort so that every generation could come to that spot and say it was at this spot that God parted the waters that we could come across. And I can just imagine as <clears throat> this event took generation to generation and a father would take his son and say, hey son, you see this stone right here, this one. I brought that stone. I'm the one that picked it up in the middle of the river and carry, carried it over here. I, I sat it right there. I knew. I know firsthand what God did. What is that going to do to a little boy? It's going to leave a huge impact. But what about his son? He can bring his son and say, Hey son, you see that stone right there? Your grandpa picked it up out of the river and brought it and put it right here. 
And then his son can do the same thing. And his son, never forget what God did. But too often we get so caught up with our lives. We forget what God's done in our lives. And the Lord's Supper is a good come to Jesus moment. There you go. To refocus. To rethink and say, you know what? Thank you. Calibration. That's the word I was looking for. It's a great calibration. How many of you have GPS? Well, we all do if you have a smartphone. <laughs> but if, uh, have you ever uh, turned on a GPS device? And it's, what does it say? It says calibrating. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. And it's, hey, boom, I know exactly where you're at. See, and there are times in our lives we, we just need to recalibrate. We get so consumed with all the things of life, work and family and and all of the busyness that goes along with life. And there are times that we just need to recalibrate. Just like the children of Israel had a, had a place where they could come and they could recalibrate and, re, and realize, hey, wow, look what God did. We need to remember what God's done in our lives. And then thirdly, how? How? Look at verse 33. <clears throat> Wherefore, my beloved, my brethren, when thou comest together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him uh, eat at home, that he may come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. The word tarry, is an interesting word. It means to anticipate or, or to look forward to being with your brethren. What, one of the reasons we should do this, uh, uh, this celebration here of the Lord's Supper is so that we can tarry, so that we can anticipate being with fellow believers. Coming together as a family. This is not a time for a meal. Verse 34 speaks of that. It's not a time for a meal. It is a time to commune with Christ. That's why, that's why it's called communion, is so that we can commune with Christ. Not so that we can get together and have a big uh, uh, meal, but it, it, it's all about Christ. I have been asked periodically why we use little wafers. And tonight we're going to be using pre prepackaged um, wafer and cup, okay? Uh, normally we don't do that, but because of everything going on, we have these pre-sealed, pre um, sanitized things. Um, but the wafers <clears throat> are kind of bland, are they not? Okay. And, and we use grape juice, okay? Now, I, I've, I've heard of churches that use uh, potato chips and Coke. 
um, which I personally think is a little on the irreverent side. Um, but why do we why do we use little tasteless wafers and grape juice? Okay, the reason why is this: the bread that we use is unleavened bread, and the reason and 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 we use unfermented grape juice. And the reason for that is leaven. Well, let, let me back up. There's two reasons. One, that's what they would have served at the Passover uh, last supper. Okay, what it, they ate, they ate unleavened bread and grape juice <clears throat> at the Passover meal or the last supper. Okay, so that's one reason we do it. <clears throat> but it is it's symbolic because what is leaven? always a sign of in scripture huh sin every time it's mentioned in scripture it is mentioned in a negative tone okay first corinthians chapter 5 verses 5 to 8 to deliver such a one unto uh, unto satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the lord uh, jesus your glorying is not good Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth oh, the whole lump? Purge out therefore old leaven, that ye may be uh, a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of, of malice, and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The Passover, uh, uh, during the Passover, the Jews strictly only used unleavened bread. So that's that's one of the reasons we do it. So, <clears throat> but why do why do we then use grape juice instead of wine? Because a lot of churches, honestly, a lot of churches use wine. But why do we not do that? Okay, the fermentation process. What does what does grape juice need to become fermented? Sugar and yeast or leaven. Okay, so there again. So by using grape juice, what are you doing? You're making an alcoholic product that is a symbol of sin. So that's why we use, <clears throat> excuse me, unleavened bread and unfermented grape juice. Now, if you honestly, if you leave grape juice out long enough, it could taste like it, but it, it actually, it can't ferment unless something is added to it. Okay. <clears throat> so, I'm going to add something here very quickly, and we're going to, I'm going to be done, uh, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'm going to add one more point here. As I've, as I've thought about it through the day, I should have added this, but not only when, why, and how, but who. Okay? Uh, who can take the Lord's Supper? Um, that is a question that, that is asked me uh, periodically, 
And to my understanding of Scripture, the only people that are told to, to do this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 are saved people. Okay? It is those that are saved, those that, that know Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, the only uh, prohibition or the only people that my understanding that should not partake of the Lord's Supper uh, are unsaved people or, in, in some cases, um, someone who, uh, a, a small child that maybe has accepted Christ but doesn't understand what the communion is all about and all. I know with our children, you know, we until they kind of figured out what was going on, we just told them not to do it. Um, but that's up to that's up to parents. But if you are saved <clears throat> and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are welcome to join us. Yeah, well, and and you go through the the steps that we talked about, examining yourself and so on and so forth. So. Um, uh, before we uh, partake of the elements, any questions before we before we go any further? Okay, you ready? <clears throat> okay, Bob is okay. Rick's going to help you. <clears throat> okay, we're gonna um, we're gonna start with a time of silent prayer. Uh, I want you to right now just bow your head and. and uh, and, and just just do some business with God and ask the Lord to help you examine yourself. Spend some time uh, doing that. Spend some time thinking about what he's done for you. So we're going to have um, just maybe a minute, maybe two of uh, silent prayer, and then we'll proceed. <clears throat> 